Hello, welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. My name is Mikey, and I'm a part of our high school ministry here at the church. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in our series on experiencing the presence of God. If you want to watch the video of the message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on our Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. chorus true? Has the love of Christ changed something in you? If we took a poll, we spent the rest of the hour and you could answer that. Do you have something to say? We continue our series, Experiencing God. You have your workbooks, right? You don't have to have them in here, but you own them. Well, I can't get around to that. You know, Who's been doing the daily readings? How long did it take you per day? 20, 30 minutes. And that, you were intent. You really spent a lot of time. I bet others spend 10, 15. It's not a lot of time. But here's my question. Are you willing to invest a little money and a little time for your spiritual growth? Are you? That means you buy a book. That means you do the work. That means you get in a group. You see, there are too many of us not to be achieving great things for God, is my opinion. So we all, but it will take all of us. So we are learning how to experience God. And the way to know God's will, the way then to do God's will, is organized by this workbook, which, which I really have enjoyed this workbook, And I think it's well-designed and well-written. And I think it's accurate biblically. But it's organized into seven realities. Now, the words realities could be, you could substitute the word seven truths or seven principles for them. But realities is fine. But the seven realities reflect the way that God invites his people to join him in his work. Today's message focuses on the first reality or the first truth. You take out your outline, your message guide. The theme verse for today is from John chapter five, which in this, uh, in the the Bible available at Brookwood, it's 856, page 856. John five, verse 17 from the New Living. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. The full statement of reality one, the first one, is that God is always at work around you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because here's why. If you really believe God's at work, then some of this complaining that we do and this I'm angry with God, he's ignoring me, he's not taking, taking care of me. Now, not that anybody in this service ever does that, but some and the other do. 
then you see that has to go away because what we understand about God should control our lives and certainly our perspective on our lives. So if, if you're suffering, but you believe God's at work and God hasn't abandoned you, that gives you a lot different perspective, doesn't it? Then if you think, oh, I'm all alone, God doesn't see, God doesn't care. So it's important that you grasp this truth. And the premise of this truth is that God is continuously pursuing his will for our world. God has a plan, God has a purpose that he is carrying it carrying out even if we are unaware of it. Now we're using the life of Moses to identify these realities, but you could use goodness just about any biblical figure who God used in his purposes and his ministry. And All of these stories are written down for us. The stories of Abraham and Noah and Esther and Paul and uh, other apostles are written down so that we can discover how God works with his people so that we can recognize it when God is inviting us to work with him. Now, the background of Moses' story is found Really, you you might even start reading the book of Exodus and just read through the life of Moses. But Exodus chapter 1 tells us that the Hebrews were living in Egypt. They had moved there, remember, under in a drought. And there was a Hebrew who was very prominent in Egypt at the time. What was his name? Joseph. So they were treated quite well. Well, the Hebrews have flourished there and they have greatly multiplied. Now, Joseph died off and many years have passed. And so the king that's on the throne in Egypt doesn't remember Joseph and the people have forgotten Joseph. So they're unconcerned. And now the king is threatened by these Hebrews who are expanding so rapidly. So in order to suppress them, The king first enslaves them. He treats them very badly. He forces them to do excruciating labor, treats them horribly. They're beat, they're they're traded as slaves. And then when that doesn't stop their expansion, he orders the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn Hebrew boys. Now, the Hebrew midwives, because they feared God, refused to do it. And when they were asked why all these Hebrew boys were still alive, they would say, well, you don't understand these Hebrew women. They deliver so quickly. They're not like these fragile Egyptian women that it takes so long. So we don't even have time. By the time we get there, the babies are already born. Exodus chapter 2 tells us about the birth of Moses. This threat of death is still over all the newborn babies. So Moses' mother, whose name was what? Jochebed. There's a name for you if you're about to have a a girl. (laughs) 
his mother decided, you know, they kept him and hid him in the house, but he got noisier and noisier. So they had to get him outside the house. So they put him in a basket covered with pitch or tar. And his sister, whose name was Miriam, watched him as when he was put down in the bulrushes. So he was down in the reeds so that the basket wouldn't float away. Well, the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess came to bathe. She heard the baby crying and found Moses. Now, Miriam jumped up quickly and offered to find a wet nurse for him. And so Miriam took Moses back home to his mother and she nursed him until he was weaned, at which time he was taken back to the princess who adopted him and he became a prince of Egypt. Now we look at Exodus chapter two and at verse 11. If you wanna look in your Bibles, it's on page 48 or it's up here on the screen. Many years later, you know how many years? 40, 40 years, perfect. 40 years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. How did he know those people were his? He grew up as a prince. Remember, read these passages closely. Vacuum them. Vacuum them. Here's how, I think. Who nursed him? His own mother, who was Hebrew. And in this time, a child was nursed until about the age of three, but some scholars say the age of five. So Moses wasn't an 18-month-old infant when he was given. He was several years old and was talking and would have understood who his family was. There's another point in Exodus 2, verse 10. When he was turned over to the princess, the princess is the one who named him Moses. And Moses is a Hebrew word that means to lift up. So this Egyptian princess did not give him an Egyptian name. She gave him a Hebrew name, which to me seems to imply she didn't seek to hide his lineage from him. So let's continue. So he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. He saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Now, didn't Moses try to do a good thing? Check, was it a good thing? Wasn't he defending one of his own people? He's trying to stop the, the oppression, the enslavement. Doesn't that, doesn't that seem good? Y'all are scared to death of me asking you questions. What's wrong with him, Joe? What's wrong? He was trying to help his own people. He took some initiative. He used his own strength, and it was disastrous. 
Why? Why, was it, why did it turn out so badly? Well, Acts 7 tells us this, which there's a passage in Acts 7 that explains some of the background. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. When we attempt to work for God on our own, instead of working with God, according to his will, at his invitation, our efforts are sure to fail. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do something humanly that appears to bear fruit. You can plant a church. And if you have someone who's reasonably interested and you, some musicians who are, who are gifted, you can attract people. And it can look like a great success and it might not have any spiritual value at all. Because there's a difference between doing something in human strength and doing something by the Spirit and according to God's call. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Years passed. How many years? 40 more. He's now 80 years old. And the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. The point of the passage in summary is that God had not abandoned Israel. He hadn't forgotten his promise but did they think he'd abandoned them? Do you think they had? You ever think God's abandoned you? Nobody? How long had they been enslaved? 400 years. And we are really impatient and upset with God if we suffer four months. And yet these people suffered, they were buried and they died. They were born, they died and were buried generations before God showed up. But God was deliberate. And sometimes God allows or sends suffering to prepare us for deliverance. Some of you may be suffering right now. What is God trying to teach you? God was working. God was even watching. Perhaps God was waiting until the people cried out and the, and the prayer became a crescendo. Anybody think that our nation isn't in decline morally? Does anybody think it is not, that it's improving morally? How much are you praying? When's the last time you cried out to God to change this nation? See, and if we're not praying, it means something. It has to mean we don't think prayer has any power or we don't think God has any power or we don't think he cares or is listening. Is that fair? 
And if we want God to step into our time, wonder what we ought to do. Any ideas? Pray. But where does that praying start? Where's it start? Starts with me. Starts with me. God was working. God was preparing Moses. He was preparing the Hebrews to be led out of Egypt. He was waiting until the time was right. God's works include constantly pursuing his plans. He promised Abraham 500 years earlier, and God never breaks a promise. He promised Abraham that his people first would go into bondage. Then he promised that he would deliver them from bondage and he would give them a land of their own. And he had not forgotten those promises. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, Acts chapter 7. God was at work preparing the people preparing and preserving a leader. And he'd been at work many years before Moses encountered God at the burning bush. See, he waited 80 years. Did, did, was he aware that he was the deliverer? We don't know. I mean, he did kill an Egyptian. Maybe he had an idea that, that he had that calling. We don't know. But he waited 80 years. Some of us retire from anything spiritual and anything difficult by the age of 80, don't we? And yet God was just getting started with Moses when he turned 80. Proverbs 19, 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. In other words... God's not impressed by our plans and he's not limited by them. God will always carry out his own plans. So God's will, God's purposes will always be carried out in God's time, but also in God's way. You know, sometimes we can be so results-oriented that we take shortcuts. God never takes shortcuts. And so the way something is done is every bit as important as the end result. The process is as important as the result. And so we, we're called to cooperate with him, not ask him to cooperate with us. But how often do we have an idea and we ask God to bless it instead of asking God, what's your plan? Let me take part in that. Even Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, didn't carry out plans of his own. This is a little bit surprising to me, John 5. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, the son also does. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. So you mean Jesus didn't come up with any of his own ideas? No. He watched the Father, discovered what the Father was doing, and always joined that. That's surprising to me. Isn't it surprising to you? I mean, sometimes I'm thinking, I wish I could give Jesus a little bit of advice, you know? I mean, there's a few folks I'd save. There might be some I'd send to their blessed reward. I really am that mean sometimes. But there's a lot of things Jesus did that surprised me. Jesus showed up at the pool of Bethesda. How many sick people were there? Probably hundreds. The whole pool was surrounded by sick people, and they were probably five deep. That was where they were waiting when the water ruffled. The first one to get in supposedly would be healed. So they were all packed in there. So Jesus walks up, and there may be hundreds of sick people. Well, how many did he heal? I think if it was me, I would have healed more. What about you? I'd have healed them all. And I'd have said, see, it's undeniable who I am now. He never did things our way. He only did things his father's way. So how many of all those sick people had his father prepared to be healed? One. Surprising. Jesus also said this in John 14, the words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. You know, if if that's how Jesus functioned, that he really did nothing on his own, but he waited on the father, do you think we should do that as well? You know, I have to tell you for me, I've been convicted as I've studied this because I thought, I've acted sometimes when I should have been praying. And sometimes I think, well, time is of the essence. The timetable is always in God's hand, never in my hand. Do you believe God's continually working in this world? So how are you going to respond? What will you change? Because we are real quick to act, aren't we? And many of us are real slow to pray. And then we wonder why what we touch doesn't work out. God's works also include continually reconciling people. Because of sin, humanity is separated from God. We're born spiritually dead, not spiritually alive. So even though God's in this world, we don't have a spiritual close connection to him. But God is working to bring separated people back into relationship with him. God's covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 included blessing all the families on earth. And that includes us. Because by faith, you see, we are children of Abraham. 
Not many of us are Jewish. There are a few Jewish folks in our church. But we're all children of Abraham by faith because Abraham exercised faith. Galatians 3, Romans 4. So God decided to redeem us out of sin through the sacrifice of Jesus. See, that's what faith is. Faith is you believing that God chose his son to die in your place and that death is sufficient for your forgiveness. That's faith. You might have a lot of things you desire to happen, but they're not faith unless God has promised it. And you believing something God's explicitly promised, that's faith. Anything else can be hope. And then God guaranteed eternal life by sealing these people with what? Come on. Holy Spirit. So the fact that the Holy Spirit has come in and given you new birth is God saying, you're sealed. You've already begun having, experiencing eternal life and it'll be unending. If you don't have the spirit, you haven't been born again. I mean, it's just that, it's just that simple. And then the Bible tells us ways to recognize when God is at work reconciling people. Would you like to know that? Because let's be honest, a lot of us have tried to witness or we tried to have some spiritual influence and nothing happened. Anybody had that experience? Let me see it. I have. I have. Romans 3 tells us one evidence. As the scriptures say, no one's righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise and no one is seeking God. So in other words, when people become interested in God, it indicates he's at work. I mean, humans are not typically God-centered. They're typically what? Do y'all really believe that? Self-centered. So when someone becomes not even God-centered, but God-interested... We need to pay close attention. When someone is interested in the Christian faith, we, that's the one we need to step up to and dialogue with. You know, the church gave us that gracious gift, Leanne and me, the 25th anniversary. We were, went to, to um, Europe, the Mediterranean. We are on a train from Florence to Venice. And the seats in this train, there would be four seats together, two facing two with a table between. There's a young woman in her 20s who was from Siberia. And she sat down with us and she asked, where were we from? Then she asked what we did. And, you know, I told her I was a pastor. Of course, Leanne, that she's in in spiritual ministry too, Christian ministry. And this woman became very animated. She closed up her work, shut down her computer, and she said, can I ask you questions about God? She said, I've asked many people questions and 
they only become offended. I can't find anyone to talk to about God. There are people out there that want to hear, but are you looking for them? Because you have to be willing to set aside your agenda, close your computer, turn off whatever you're doing, stop reading your book, because God may have invited you into being his ambassador. So you listen. Look at this. Here's another one. John 6, 44. Let me tell you this one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. See, here's the problem. There's someone that we all want to see saved, right? Raise your hand if there's someone you want to see saved. Okay? The problem is... If God's not drawing that person, you're wasting your time. They just get frustrated with you. Is that right? And you create significant frustration, sometimes even relational breakdown, trying to convince disinterested people to believe. And such witnessing will be fruitless. Rather if we respond to people who have an interest in spiritual matters, we'll see great fruit. But you have to be looking and speaking all the time, you see? Now the problem is a lot of us are scared to death to read the four spiritual laws to somebody, right? Who's scared? Y'all are scared to even say you're scared. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna give you some. Some of you that wouldn't raise your hand. I don't even know what the four spiritual laws are. Well, I do witness. I'm one of those guys that rolls up the track in the toilet paper in the bathroom. So when they pull it out, and boom, boom, boom. It's something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. But are you aware of people displaying spiritual interest? And how do you approach it? You don't have to hand out tracts. I mean, it could be something so subtle as to say, hey, can I pray for you? You hear somebody troubled, you see it on their face, you ask what's going on, can I pray with you? And pray for them right there. I've never had anybody say, I know, don't pray with me. I mean, we're on the dead gum cruise ship and there's people, it's like, if we're open, they're just showing up, you know? We prayed for a waitress from the Philippines who had some stuff she was struggling with. We, you know, we're in Mississippi trying to help Leanne's mother who has Alzheimer's. And we're in, the, in a restaurant and a woman starts talking about her struggles with her kids. She's a, and we just said, let's pray. We just prayed right there before God and everybody in Greenwood, Mississippi. But you know what, too? She said, I want to know how to know God's will. I'm raising these kids. I don't know what to do. And I had an extra workbook. It's just being aware. You don't have to, you don't have to do an onslaught, an attack. Just say, listen for the word blessing. Offer the word blessing. Well, if you say, bless you, if somebody's got to do the blessing, right? If someone says, bless you to me, then I'm going in with another question because it means that person has some awareness of God. 
You just follow it. You be sensitive to it. That's what we're being called to. Not to pin people against the wall. You'll just be frustrated and make them angry. But look at what God's called you to. Because God's works also include calling and equipping people to participate. If we believe God is actively at work redeeming a lost world, then doesn't it behoove us to figure out who those people are? And he invites us to be involved in his redemptive plan. Look at this passage. This is exciting. God gave me this task of reconciling people to him. So we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Who have you said that to or something similar? Try it. You know, I just, just say something. It might be about your church. It might be, you know, I'm in there. Leanne and I are buying a refrigerator. I told this guy we were living in refrigerator hell, so he knew it was spiritual. And he, I said, I'm a pastor. I know about hell. But, but he wasn't interested beyond that, you see? But what if he had said, you really are? You're a pastor? Well, I'm surprised by what you just said, but besides, <laughs> but give people an opportunity, you know? You might say, you know, I might have said, I got to get this thing. We've got a small group coming and we don't have, you know, we need ice or just something that lets somebody know you know God and they can respond to you. You'll be shocked how many people you run into if your eyes are open and your heart's willing. You know, I think all of us want an assignment for God, but we'd like to curtail it. You know what I'm saying? I want, I want an assignment from God, but I want a high profile one. And a lot of y'all are saying, well, I could outdo you. Well, I'm, yes, that's an easy standard. You can't outdo Joe though, but if I, but you know, if I was going to be somebody, I, I want to be a real musician, you know, but I would humbly bless them with my gifts. I mean, we got this crazy world today full of these Christian celebrities. Somehow that doesn't make any sense to me. But do you want God to give you a, a calling? And is it, is it important because he gives it, not how high profile it is. You know what? I don't believe God starts any of us with high profile assignments. His assignments, I'm saying, not ones you grab. I think he starts low and sees how you work and your faithfulness and your willingness before he elevates. Because the wrong person elevated to the wrong position can be disastrous. Disastrous. And, and after all, God's more interested in our relationship with him than what we accomplish for him. See, he doesn't need us to do things for him. He invites us into this exciting experience. And so if you say, well, I'm not getting any assignments. I don't even hear him speak. What that means is that your personal relationship with him is weak. And you don't need an assignment 
You need some time with God, and you need to strengthen that personal relationship with him. And as you grow with him, you'll begin to recognize him working. You'll begin to hear what he wants to say. And, and, and he'll invite you to participate with him. And when we participate with God in something he's doing, what, what happens is, you know, we tend to focus on whether I was successful in this task. Uh, no, no, we should be focusing on what's going on between me and God as I'm trying to work with him. That's a whole lot more important, see? What's happening in me as I'm working with God? I mean, that's John 15. Remain in him or you can't bear any fruit. But, but working with him, being dependent on him, deepens the relationship and it develops this greater intimacy with God as we see his ways. When we're born again, God gives us the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, who knows? Some of y'all know a lot. Paraclete, parakletos, actually. And that, that word in the Greek can be translated lots of different ways. Intercessor, consoler, advocate, comforter, counselor, helper. Really, even enabler. Because, but understand this, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a gift to you from God who enables, who facilitates you having a two-way relationship with him. Now, this Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts, which are specific abilities. Teaching, prophecy, exhortation, mercy, you know the list. But those gifts are given to enable us to carry out the tasks he's already assigned us. And since the Holy Spirit actually is doing the work through us and enabling us to participate productively, we have to stay connected to him and rely on our relationship, not rely on whatever we think our spiritual gifts are, whatever our abilities are. You may have a great ability and it can pro it's possible that it profits nothing for God. Great talent doesn't do God's work. God's work is done by humble people who are depending on him to carry it out. There's a big difference in there. Spiritual gifts can change. You know, I think sometimes we get all caught up in this spiritual gift inventory and we look at it like, like Christian Zodiac, you know? When we get a little locket or something that my, here's my gift. But Spiritual gifts can change according to the task you've received from God. And some of you say, God hasn't given me any gifts. Well, have you accepted the ones he's offered? Why would he give you a gift if he knows you're going to say, ah, oh, inconvenient. It takes too much time. It'll cost me some money. I don't even like this guy. We're laughing, but that's nervous laughter. We wonder why God's not using us, but how many, how many invitations have we turned down 
because it wasn't, the person wasn't cool or, or, or the, it was costly in time or it was inconvenient or how many things have we turned down? And then we wonder why we can't see any gifts. You don't need to be spiritually equipped if you're not going to do anything for God. Biblically, God gives the assignment first. Then he equips the person by the Spirit to accomplish what he assigns. You say, I need help here in God. I really sincerely want to. Who can help me get started? Well, the counselors are here every week. They'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. We also have a place workshop. It, it actually met yesterday. And, and in that time, you, you meet a coach who helps you to pray, to hear from God, to discover where he's calling you to serve and to see the gifts that he's going to give for you to use. There's another class, November 23rd. But only God can tell us what he wants us to do with our lives. We can't really even discover God's activity on our own. It has to be revealed to us. Who's willing to ask God to reveal what he wants you to do? Who's willing? I want to see some hands. And will you ask the Spirit to show you where God's at work and gift you in a way so you can participate? That's the prayer. Show me where you're at work. Enable me to work with you. You know, one place that God is at work is India. And I told you last week how we were introduced to Praveen Chekavarte, who's coming to, on the stage now. Roland Bergeron, who is with him, drills water wells all around the world. He drill, was drilling water wells in India, and he met this young man who's lost weight. And um, he had a great need. He had been able to have kids released from enslavement in, in um, quarries, and he needed help supporting. So, Brookwood, we, we built a building. We have helped support, but his needs are even greater today. And this is Roland Bergeron. He founded Water of Life. But let me tell you what God's doing through this man, not because of this man, through this man. He, he and his father, actually his father before him, who stands like this, he's a very, you think he's a stern man until he cries when you leave him. But they lead a group of pastors, 8,641 8, pastors. Each pastor serves 10 villages. In this past baptism period of several months ending in January, these pastors collectively baptized 2.11 million people. They have been instrumental in establishing 6,126 Christ villages in India. And a Christ village is a place where every home has had the gospel explained to them and the leader of the village has converted to faith. 
I don't know how many American towns would fit that qualification. Every home, not everyone converted, but every home has had it explained and the leader of the village converted. Praveen, our church in our ministry plan, which we'll vote on, supports 1,000 children. It's 860 something thousand uh, out of our budget. But how many children are you responsible for supporting? 10,641. Did y'all hear that? 10,641. The problem today is still children are enslaved and Praveen can't take anymore. He's worried that they will starve and then the government will arrest because they can't take care of these kids. But these children are just given to him. They're all untouchables. They're not educated by the government. They can't have anything but the very most meager jobs. When Praveen left the country, 46 more kids were dropped off because he hasn't been accepting them. These children are not only still enslaved in many mines throughout the country, but they're also being auctioned in, in the black market for medical testing and for organ harvesting. We're not making this up and, and Praveen's gonna be with Roland and Pod C. And if you dispute any of this or you question it, please question it, please question it. Um, the current president of India is very militant Hindu and they are attacking pastors, killing pastors. Um, people are paid actually. That's not happening here, but it is happening there. I'm not sure that their gospel is not more vibrant than ours because we're comfortable. But I'm asking you, will you help feed these kids? You can go to Pod C, you can get a card, or you can go online. Let me have that address, setfreealliance.org. I'm asking you to please help feed these children. We can have a hand. We can have a hand in revival in India and God will be pleased even though we just are doing it with our resources because they don't have them and we do. So I'm asking you as pastor, will you? So you guys go ahead. And now we're gonna vote to affirm the ministry plan. You've had a chance to look over it. You've had a chance to ask questions. Um, but here's my, here's my question. If you will support, and I don't want you to just support India, we need to support here and India, you see what I'm saying? If you will commit that you will support, and that means you'll make a financial, some financial contribution, I want you to stand. You accept this ministry plan and you'll contribute to it. Thank you, that's the overwhelming majority. Father, we, and I know some have, been, have not been able to stand, so I understand that for health reasons. Father, I pray that you would work in us so that you can work through us. God, don't let us be complacent about your work. Call us into your work, Lord, so that we can come to know you better in the process. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you experience transformed life. 
One of the ways you can do that is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.